0: We're starting the book of Devarim, okay. So, book of Deuteronomy. I'm going to start out reading the story of the spies, which is a story we read just a few weeks ago, okay, from Numbers 14. But here in Deuteronomy 1, Moses is speaking to the children of Israel as they are on the in the plains of Moab, on the east side of the Jordan. In two months, they're going to be crossing over the Jordan and into the land, and so Moses is going through. What He's beginning a five-week period of encouraging the children of Israel, and that is encapsulated in the book of Deuteronomy. But here he's, he's talking about the issue of the spies, so it doesn't sound like it's starting out too encouraging. But here we are in verse 19. He says, Then we set out from Horeb and went through all that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea, and, and I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God has given us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord the God of your fathers has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you came near me and said, let us send men before us, that they may explore the land for us, and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up, and the cities into which we shall come." The thing seemed good to me, and, I, sent, and I, looked, I took twelve men from you, one man from each tribe. And they turned and went up into the hill country, and came to the valley of Eshcol, and spied it out. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land, and brought it down to us, and brought us word again, and said, It is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents, and said, Because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. Then I said to you, Do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God, who goes before you, will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness, where where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents and fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. And the Lord heard your words and was angered, and he swore, Not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh, He shall see it, and to him and to his children I will give the land on which he has trodden, because he has wholly followed the Lord. Okay, so Moses is recalling the story of how the children of Israel's fathers had failed in the wilderness to listen to the word of the Lord. Not that he would discourage them from going up, but rather kind of along the same themes as we talked about last week, remembering the past so that we don't repeat the sins of the past, not being defined by past failures, but moving forward into a new beginning, into new opportunities. And that's really what Moses is calling them toward. But I started out here with the sin of the spies because the sin of the spies is understood to be um, really what brought about the ninth of Av being a day of calamity for the Jewish people throughout (laughs) the generations. And tonight, starting at sunset, through Sunday night at sunset, is the 9th of Av. It is also known as Tisha B'Av. It's, it's at this time that the spies came back. They gave their report, and the people believed the report. Right? They heard the report that there were good things about the land. They heard the report that there were bad things about the land. They focused on the negative And in that, their hearts melted away such that they... Really, yeah, they, they didn't believe God would, would give them the victory. And so their hearts failed, and they failed to go up. And in, in uh, the Talmud, in Sanhedrin 104a, it said, it was, the ninth, it was the night of the ninth of Av when the children of Israel wept in response to the report of the spies. And the Almighty said to Israel, you have wept without cause therefore will i appoint a weeping to you for future generations okay and so then throughout the course of jewish history then on the 9th of av or at least in within days of the 9th of av but primarily on the 9th of av here are a few things that have occurred the destruction of the first temple and the destruction of the second temple the first crusade began at this time in which many well in, in 10,000 Jews were killed in the first month alone of the Crusades. Many more perished in them. Jews were expelled from England, France, and Spain on this day, all in different years, over a period of about 270 years. And there's many more instances of how this has been a day of weeping for the Jewish people. So we fast on the 9th of Av, and we fast in in mourning, right, recognizing that weeping will be turned to joy and holding to the promise that God says that these days of fasting will be turned into days of joy, as the prophet Zechariah says. But also, it's not just a time of mourning, it's a time of self-reflection to say every generation is responsible you know, for rebuilding the temple. Right? Rebuilding the temple is a picture of the redemption, whereas the destruction of the temple is a picture of the exile. Right? And so we weep that there is an exile currently in place, and we long for the redemption. And so we say, well, the, the, the exile occurred, all these exiles have occurred due to sin. And so repentance is going to turn back the exile and bring back the redemption. When the sages speak of why the first temple was destroyed, they say it was, it was destroyed due to the fact that there were three matters that existed at the time of the first temple idol worship, forbidden sexual relations, and bloodshed. Okay, these are known as really kind of the three cardinal sins. The three sins that even under persecution to the point of death you're not to violate. Right. So that, that was the reason for the first temple being destroyed and then they, they ask why was the second temple destroyed? It was destroyed due to the fact that there was baseless hatred during that period. And this comes to teach you that the sin of baseless hatred is equivalent to the three severe transgressions of idol worship, forbidden sexual relations, and murder. Right. Okay, so baseless hatred. So if baseless hatred was the cause of the destruction and the subsequent exile, then what is baseless hatred? Because we kind of need to know that so that we don't walk in it. right? And ultimately, baseless hatred comes back down to Something we we talk about on occasion, which is lashon hara, right? The evil tongue. And in speaking of the evil tongue, that's that's evil speech, that's slandering towards others or circumstances, things like that, that that ought not to be done by those who have pure lips, right? And on the other side of lashon hara is the aspect of saying, well, um, I guess. Uh, I had a thought in my mind There's kind of like seeing the whole picture as opposed to just the part that you're going to slander. Instead, it's so it's not just saying like niceties in order to avoid saying something negative. It's actually being able to take a look at the whole and say, I understand that there are deficiencies and there are good things. And like this person, for example, I need to see the good in them as well. So I'm going to look for the, and to give the benefit of the doubt rather than to give condemnation. Okay, so I could turn and give you evil speech. I could interpret someone's actions as being very selfish, right? Or I could say, well, how is it their actions might actually be generous and selfless, right? So giving the benefit of the doubt, trying to see things as the whole, like the children of Israel, when they're getting ready to go into the land, they come by and they say, man, the the land does flow with milk and honey, and look at the size of this fruit. It's awesome, but the land devours its people. Okay, well, what's the whole picture? Okay, and then not only is it just seeing these circumstances, but then what's the greater picture even of who was going before them on the way? Right? Because rather than saying, but God is going before us, they said God hates us. Right? And the, the when we were reading here in, in Deuteronomy, um, it, di- it didn't say this in this translation that we were seeing, but I saw at one point where they said, And they slandered in their tents, saying it's because God hates us that he brought us up out of the land of Egypt. And so there was baseless hatred that they were then speaking forth in that moment. And in that, they had bought into the lie and were not going to be able to go up anymore. Now, to be able to give the benefit of the doubt takes active effort on our part because it's far more natural for us to look at somebody, something, and find the negative, or to to perceive something as being negative, it's not not as righteous and good as what we would do, All right. And so it does take some effort. Um, but part of that effort, you know, is it's an act of love, and it's an act of, of wholeness that, that we're really working out. So the opposite of baseless hatred, we could think well. Partially love, right, because the opposite of hatred would be love. But it's also the aspect of giving this benefit of the doubt. And love in itself is an active thing. It's not It's not an emotion. It's not an emotion. It's an action. Okay. Even the root. Okay, the, the Hebrew word for, for love is ahava. Okay. Well, the root word is yahav, which means to give. Okay, so even at its core, the word for love is a giving love, right? It's not a passive thing, not an emotion, it's an action. And actions take work, you know, and so it, it takes an effort on our part. So today we're going to talk about, more about faith than love, but I think both of them go hand in hand. And as I mentioned, you know, where the children of Israel are getting ready to come into the land, they're getting the remembrance of what ended up bringing about the exile or greatly contributing to their exile, not being able to enter into the inheritance at the time that God desired to bring them into their inheritance. Moses is now trying to encourage the younger generation to go and do what their fathers had failed in. And in this portion, Moses is going through and retelling different aspects of the journey that really the stories we just read in the book of Numbers. And the first thing he does in Deuteronomy one is, is he talks about how God has multiplied the children of Israel as the stars, as he had promised to Abraham. Okay? And that was despite Egypt's attempts to destroy the Jewish people. And then he goes on later on in Deuteronomy one, of course, and tells the story of the spies But then Moses encourages them and says, no, you can do this because look at all the ways that God has carried you. Look at all the ways that he has brought you to this place and he goes before you to lead you on the way. And then in Deuteronomy 2, Moses begins to talk about Esau and Lot's children. And he says, remember how we circled the Mount of Seir, which was where Esau's descendants are, and then we went around them and then you passed through Moab and the Lord told you not to take their land um, you know but to leave them alone he says you can't do anything in the Mount of Seir or in the land of Moab because I've given it to them as an inheritance okay and and actually specifically I think I'm going to go here um, because this is really interesting in Deuteronomy 2 because you know we really haven't we didn't see the stories of how this happened, but Moses is talking to the children of Israel like, yeah, this is, you knew this, but I'm reminding you. And he says, okay, I'm going to start reading Deuteronomy 2, 17. The Lord spoke to me saying, This day you shall cross the border of Moab at Ar, and you shall approach opposite the children of Ammon. You shall not distress them, and you shall not provoke them. For I shall not give any of the land of the children of Ammon to you as an inheritance. For to the children of Lot have I given it as an inheritance. It too is considered the land of the Rephaim. The Rephaim dwelled in it previously, and the Ammonites called them Zamzumim, a great and populous people and as tall as giants. And the Lord destroyed them before them being Lot and drove them out and dwelled in their place, just as he did for the children of Esau who dwell in Seir, that he destroyed the Horite before them. They drove them out and dwelled in their place until this day. Okay, So what Moses is saying is, to the descendants of Esau and to the descendants of Lot, God drove out giants from before them to dispossess them from their land so that he could give the inheritance to Esau and Lot's children. And now he's given that inheritance and said, that is theirs. You can't have it. So God is zealous to preserve the inheritance that he had promised to Esau and Lot's kids. How much more for the children of Abraham would God be going to drive out the giants from before them to give them an inheritance and to preserve that inheritance such that it would be theirs? Because he has to fulfill his promises. So Moses is, I mean, laying it on pretty thick here, right? Right. Of like, wow, yeah. If he did it for them, how much more would he do it for us? You know, when we read this, it's really easy to just pass through that and not take note of the fact that, yeah, this is God demonstrating His faithfulness, recalling His faithfulness to strengthen His people so that His people can go forward in confidence, in assured faith that God will do what He said He will do. And then, and then he goes on to say, well, not only has he done it for them, remember what's just happened with you guys in the past 10 months? I think even past five months, where with Og and, and Sihon, both, both people who had giants within them who were dispossessed from their land before the Israelites because God went before them and said, I've delivered them into your hand. And now they've driven them from their land and now had their land as a possession. So if I'll do it on the east side of the Jordan, believe me, I'm going to do it on the west side of the Jordan, too. So I've kind of already answered this next question I was going to ask is, why did Moses choose these stories? Right? Because he's, you know, he's, he's saying you're about to cross over. You're about to face a significant trial because the land is with fortified cities. It is filled with giants. There are battles ahead. And right now, you have things going on in your head and in your, well, okay, I'll I'm gonna, I'm gonna go here, though so I don't know how much we'll go into this. C.S. Lewis talks about um, the head, the stomach, and the chest, okay, in, in his book, The Abolition of Man, which I need to read. And I always say this, I need to read this, but what I heard about this was fascinating and seems very appropriate for what we're talking about today, where <laughs> within your head you have intellect, right? In your stomach, you've got aspects of, of emotion and kind of your animal instinct. But then you need something that's going to govern between those two to then determine what your action will be based on your intellect and your gut and your emotion to bring it all together to say, how do we now move forward? Right? Because the children of Israel, they knew who God was. Right? It's like, yeah, we believe in God. But on the other side, they've got this, we're about to go face significant battle that caused our fathers to shrink away. But now what are we going to do? When our fear meets with our intellect of knowing that God exists and he's for us, what now are we going to do? What are we going to move forward in? And so he's saying you need to be grounded, right? You need to be grounded to be able to then process all of that and make a good decision and take a good course of action. But now grounded in what specifically? Right. Grounded in faith. Faith that God is who he says he is and will do according to his word. So these stories that Moses is telling are demonstrating that God is faithful to his word. And this and that his the faithfulness that he has demonstrated gives them every reason to believe him and to have this faith, which in Hebrew the word for faith is emunat. Amuna. and Amuna is not intellectual understanding, okay. Imuna goes much beyond uh, simply to believe something, okay. It goes, we'll, we'll talk more about what it is, um, but in short, you know, it's steadfast faithfulness, trust, confidence, okay and the children of Israel could have this faith because faith because they had known God we've talked before about um, what it is to, to know God and the Hebrew word yada to know and how it's that, that same word yada has within it a connotation of intimacy it's not just like studious notes it's actually a an experiential knowing and i and i bring this up because Yeah, I just want to talk about how God is known by his works. Right. So let's go to Exodus 6, 2 through 8, back before God brought his children out of the land of Egypt. Moses had already gone once. They'd had difficulty (laughs) with Pharaoh. The people weren't delivered, and now Moses is going back. And it's in this passage that God gives the four statements of redemption. Right. But God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. So another way of reading this would be, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am Adonai. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai. But by my name, Adonai, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians had hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am Adonai, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am Adonai your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians." So, I will bring you to the, into the land. Saying, "Sorry, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am Adonai." So he's using his name over and over again. Now, interestingly, he says, "I didn't make myself known as Adonai. I made myself known as El Shaddai." But back in Genesis chapter fifteen, when God is speaking to Abraham, he's, he used his name Adonai. So Abraham knew the name of Adonai, but he didn't know God by his name, Adonai. That sounds weird, right? You're like, what? <laughs> well, the name, God has many names, right? He has El Shaddai. He, uh, you know, I'll actually read a, a note here. This is from uh, Exodus Rabbah, where <clears throat> they say, God says to Moses, you wish to know my name, I'm called according to my deeds. God says, I'm called according to my deeds. Sometimes I'm called El Shaddai, or Tzavayot, or Elohim, or Adonai. When I judge the creations, I'm called Elohim. And when I'm waging war against the wicked, I'm Tzavayot. And when I suspend punishment for a man's sins, I'm called El Shaddai. And when I'm merciful towards my world, I'm called Adonai. And the name Adonai refers to the attribute of mercy. As it is said, Adonai, Adonai, God, merciful and gracious. Right? When God revealed himself to Moses, that was the name that he revealed and said, merciful and gracious. And so also in um, Exodus 3.14, when God is saying, here's who you, you know, when they, Moses says, who shall I say sent me? he said, tell them, Eie Asher Aye, sent you, right? And God was saying that his name in that case was, I will be that which I will be, okay? So God is making a statement of who he is, like his identity, but he's also saying, I will be known according to my works. I will be known according to my deeds. You will know me experientially. You won't just know a name, because just a name, a sound... Is not that by which we're saved. What we're saved by is the very character and nature and authority and person of who God is. And that's who we seek to know. So he said, yeah, Abraham knew my name, but he didn't know me by my name. Because with these deeds that I'm about to do, and bring you out of slavery, redeeming you, and bringing you to me as a people, then you will know me by my name, Adonai which is merciful and gracious. So it's really a cool thing to think about. It's this experiential knowing. Just like love is experiential. Faith and salvation are experiential. They aren't just things. Right? But in our in our in our western culture in a greek mindset, we often try to divide and and break things out and say okay, well faith that's belief and you know, not works, because if it's works, then maybe we're saving ourselves. And so we need to kind of hang on. Let's try to let's try to narrowly define faith so that the scripture that says here, for it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast, right? So we say, well, you know, there's so many discussions around that passage. And I know a few weeks ago we kind of talked about this in, in some regards. um with respect to, to faith and what it is and salvation and so forth, and how faith and works go together, as as James said. But even within the context of this, sometimes we say, well, people, people, okay. So most people, I think, acknowledge that a true faith is one that actually is demonstrated through then being carried out through acts of righteousness and faithfulness to God. But often we try to, again, try to, Weave things through and say, okay, it's grace that you've been saved through faith, right? So faith, that's believing. And then once you believe, you're saved, and then you go do the works. It's like, I don't agree with that. Because there is no just intellectual belief that brings salvation. There's no intellectual belief that changes the world <laughs> in and of itself, or that changes a person in and of themselves. It has to go together with works. And this is part of the thing, is that the word emunah, the Hebrew word emunah is not just intellectual belief. It is belief and action. And, and you know, I wasn't really, I hadn't planned on talking about the passage from James. Um, I put it in my notes, I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to talk about that. And then as we were seeing, I'm like, actually, I think we are going to talk about that. <laughs> And uh, so in James, okay, I actually deleted part of it, but in James 2, I think it's somewhere around verse 14, James asks the question, he says, well, a faith that doesn't have any works, can that faith even save? Right? <clears throat> Making the statement that that faith cannot save. Right? In in, in uh, James 2, verse 21, And and continuing, he says, was our father Abraham not justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. Right? Faith was incomplete without the works. It was perfected by the combination of his trust and his action. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. That might make people feel a little uncomfortable hearing that scripture right there. But if he says in verse twenty-six, "For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also also faith without works is dead." Dead means not able to accomplish anything, fruitless, right? And so the thing is. If we go back to the passage that I, that I spoke of, for it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. right? It is through faith that you receive the grace that brings salvation. Is another way of saying this. It is through steadfast trust in God and faithful, faithfulness toward him that you then receive the merit of Yeshua, which is grace. And that brings salvation. Okay? So our faithfulness toward God, apart from the grace of Yeshua, does not bring salvation. Does that make sense? Okay. So, but so much in our society and Christianity, we get caught up on this, wait, 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 I need to be really careful to define faith such that it isn't that which saves me. Or like the works don't save me. But we need to not divide. And, you know, speaking on, on this, uh, the word amuna and its faith, I think it's really important that we understand the meaning of words, especially in a society today that tries to redefine words to fit agendas and to deceive and to cloud and dilute, right? Faith should not be that which is diluted, right? And so we have to, we, I mean, we have to guard what is the truth of the word according to the way that Yeshua and his apostles understood it and transmitted it. What does true faith in God look like? And then how then do we walk that out? So we want to um, we, we know God experientially. We want to have this faith that is experiential, that then results in a salvation that is experiential. Because again, the salvation we're looking for is not just where do we end up in the end. It's how do we walk in eternal life today with our Savior. So God reveals himself as merciful. Merciful. He reveals his authority, his character, and his nature by his deeds. And And his faithfulness in doing that gives us confidence that we can place our trust in him and know that he will do exactly what he said he will do and that he will take us exactly where he said he would take us as long as we <laughs> say yes and walk with him along the way. Rashi explains that the name of God implies his unchanging nature and his faithfulness to keep his word. And, and he says, his name means I am faithful to uphold my words. That's pretty cool. So God is he is Imuna. He is faithfulness. Right? And it's by his faithfulness that we are delivered, saved, and upheld. Alright, so let's talk let's keep going on talking about faith. And let's go to Deuteronomy one thirty-two. Or not thirty-two, thirty through thirty two. Okay. No, no, no. Go back. That's good. (laughs) Okay, so the Lord your God, who goes before you, will himself fight on your behalf, just as he did for you in Egypt, where you're before your eyes, and in the wilderness, where you saw how the Lord your God carried you, just as a man carries his son, and all the way which you have walked until you came to this place. But for all this, you did not trust the Lord your God. So that's. For all this, you did the the word is imuna, right? You did not have faith in the Lord your God. Okay, and you know this is kind of going back to the whole thing of well, what is imuna? Is it just belief or is it something beyond? Well, in this case, clearly they believed in God, right? They had been brought out of Egypt they had survived in the wilderness they saw the cloud by day and the fire by night and they had the water from the rock and they had you know just countless examples of God so it's like yeah you believe in God but but here he says for all this you did not believe in the Lord your God and then not believing a God was was failing to take captive the intellect and the emotion and then make the right decision to go forward and saying what a you know, I cannot let the emotion rule. I must have what I know of the emotion that God has put in me right a- apart from my own animal uh, fears and then what God has shown me through his demonstration now take that and base you know let have my actions based on that. He said you didn't base your actions on a confident trust and faith in God. Okay, now also in Hebrews eleven six, the writer of Hebrews, during his chapter on the great works of faith, says, Without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Sounds like a big deal, right? So, without faith it's impossible to please him. So we need, to, again, this is an important thing for us to know. And the writer of Hebrews gives us the twofold side of what faith is. It's, yeah, believe that he exists. Sure, that's the plain and simple. But also that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. And you seek him through making decisions and taking action to pursue. Okay. All right, so... Let's go back to Amunah a little bit. <laughs> We've already noted that it's not simply an intellectual belief. But it goes beyond that. Um, in James 2.19, he says, You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe, and they shudder. Right? So, again, it's not sufficient. Now, in, okay, so I've been uh, listening to a book by a, a scholar talking about Paul. And this is uh, Paula, Paula Friedrichson's book, Paul, the Pagan's Apostle. And she is going through and just giving kind of a historical rundown of what faith looks like and trying to give an understanding of what did, what were the thoughts in the uh, ancient Near East, what were the thoughts in the times of the Greeks, and how did they understand some of these words. And she noted that you know belief today is often presented as a sincerity or authenticity or intensity of your inner disposition, right? just kind of like a, what do you really believe? Whatever. (laughs) What do you really think? How about that? That's maybe more the the current definition of belief. But the, the word in Latin is fides, and the word in Greek is pistis, and the word in Hebrew is amuna. In antiquity, it did not mean just thoughts, or a belief, but something that was more along the lines of steadfastness, fidelity toward, or conviction that. Okay? And so steadfastness, I I looked up these words, say, okay, well, let's just look at the definitions of steadfastness and fidelity, and both of them were adherence to something to which one is bound by a pledge or duty, firmly fixed in place, unchanging, you're not subject to change. And uh, so anyway, so it's the aspect... Imuna, having faith in God is having a steadfast conviction that he is true and he is good and that we then act in accordance with that. Um, yeah, because the, 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 the work goes right along with it. Because if you really have a steadfast faith, it's not just an unchanging thought. It's like, no, actually, I, there's a way of life that I then carry out. And specifically speaking, she said that in ancestral customs, whether it was, you know, Christianity or even other religions, when they would speak of having pistis, having faith in their gods, <clears throat> it, it didn't mean to believe like that their God existed or even like to believe that, that they had customs they should follow. Rather, it was to have confidence in their God and to have confidence in those customs, sound may sound strange to think confidence in those customs, right? But but what what they what she meant by that is that having confidence in the customs was that these customs did in they indeed pleased God, right? So in other words, like God's given His Torah, I believe in God, I trust God, and He's given me a Torah that I'm to walk in, and I have confidence that this walking in the Torah is pleasing to him, right? That's part of faith. So trusting, in, and and so part of it, believing they they please God and to trust in them and to execute them faithfully with care and respect. So now let's take that and let's transition it to, to what we have today. Well, believing in Yeshua doesn't mean believing that he was a real historical figure It does. That's part of it, right? But it's not that alone. There's plenty of people who believe that he was a real historical figure, even a Jew, even a faithful Jew, right? But we're also to have confidence in him, right? Confidence that by attaching ourselves to him and executing faithfully what he has called us to do, which is to walk faithfully with God, is pleasing to God, right? Because God sent His Son such that all who believe in Him would have eternal life, right? It wasn't just to believe that He exists. It was who has confidence in Him, who attaches themselves to them, to to Yeshua, walks according to His ways. And that (coughs) is eternal life. And that is pleasing to God. And so that's the faith that we're to have. Okay, so actually, uh, yeah, there's a couple of verses here that we'll look at. Uh, John thirteen twenty. 20. Uh, Yeshua says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever rece- receives the one I send, receives me. He's speaking of sending out his uh, sent ones, his shaliach, apostles. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. Okay? Um, So he's referring back to God sent him. You receive Yeshua and trust in him. Have confidence that that is pleasing to God. That is receiving God's will and desire. And then coupling this with John 6, verse 40. Yeshua says, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son... And believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. <clears throat> so again, whoever, everyone who beholds the Son, who has steadfast confidence in him, trust in him, will have eternal life, right? And of course, then there's the aspect we believe God exists. We have confidence in who He is. We have confidence in Yeshua. And then, of course, we're going to continue to walk that out the rest of our lives, as Paul says, to walk out salvation with fear and trembling. That fear and trembling is not a fear of being smacked. It's in reverence, right? In reverence to the Lord. And in a desire to be with Him, to experience Him. And so, again... Knowing yeah, kind of just combining the aspect of God's name and then believing in God, contrasting the intellectual versus the experiential, knowing a name and versus knowing someone by their deeds is somewhat could be compared to believing in God and believing God. Okay Because believing God involves the experience of knowing Him in action and uh, walking things out okay so within our steadfast faithfulness towards God we can think about well what is it what does it really look like if someone is faithful okay. and an easy way to, to do this is to think about what does a faithful friend look like right a faithful friend someone who's going to be there for you who you can count on, you can trust, right? Even trust can, can be the, a, a thought that's purely intellectual. It's not until it's exercised do you really actually have trust in someone. It's so like, you know, the whole uh, confidence things where people say, hey, you know, close your eyes and fall backward, we'll catch you. It's like, you can say I trust you, but now you have to really say, do I really trust you? Am, am I going to do that? And I don't know if y'all have seen videos of, people missing so you know uh they fall right. <laughs> the fall forward yes that's that's the best right it's like well the heart was in the right place <laughs> oh my goodness but you know so it's it's uh yeah that that's that's an aspect of faithfulness you know someone who's going to keep their word, who's going to be there with you who's going to walk with you. So that's, that's an aspect of it. Um, and what other people do will either reinforce your confidence in them or will detract from it. Right? Like in ancient days, the idea of covenant was much more well-known than it is today. Uh, in fact, it's said that every interaction to people between people was viewed as a step of covenant not that every action involved a covenant but it's like the covenant was the relationship and the safeguarding of the relationship and so it's like well is this person showing themselves to be one who's going to safeguard this relationship or are they one who's not going to even if it was in business dealings were they upright or were they not it was there's always this is your confidence increasing or decreasing and it's really that way in our faith walk, too, right? Are we drawing closer to the Lord? Are we growing in maturity? Or are we shrinking back? Right. And so our, our faith is to be growing, is to be stead, steadfast. Yeshua said it's the one who endures to the end who will be saved, right? The one who will experience salvation, the one who does experience salvation today is the one who is steadfast and endures. Okay, so uh, another thing about imuna and faith is that it's it's really not blind. Okay, God didn't ask people to just believe Him without giving any evidence, right? Which is also what Moses is doing here too. He's going to encourage and saying, "Look at all the evidence. We have tons of evidence that God is faithful, and God does the same thing." In fact, the first three times that imuna is mentioned in the Torah is in Exodus, and I'm not going to go through all these uh, due to time, but in in each case, there was something unique that God was demonstrating to the children of Israel that would cause them to have faith in Him. Cause them to trust. The first one um, God had shown had, was revealing to them that He had seen their affliction. And that He cared about them. He was giving, showing empathy toward them. Right. Another one is that Uh, he had demonstrated his power through the splitting of the sea so they were seeing his power manifest and that gave them (coughs) confidence as well and then they heard him speak directly to Moses from Mount Sinai you know which was a whole other level where it's like okay well actually he's he's wanting to reveal himself to us so that we can understand who he is and even that understanding is part of faith right and specifically in that scripture you know God says that he would speak directly to Moses so the people would hear and they would believe in Moses forever. It's like, again, it's not believe that Moses was, it's to trust in the words of Moses, to trust that the words that he was giving were good words pleasing to God, right? And that they would believe that forever. And again, you know, Moses is the former Redeemer, the latter Redeemer will be like him. Same thing with Yeshua. It's like God has given us Yeshua and demonstrated that he is the Messiah by his resurrection to show us for that we would believe in him forever, trust in him forever, knowing that this is good and pleasing to God to attach ourselves to his son. Okay, so, so it's not about a blind faith. It's one that is actually based on a demonstration. And yet, even though the children of Israel, who first were called to go up into the land, had seen their great deliverance and had been in the wilderness with God for that little over a year. They'd been told to go up, but they failed. And they failed to go up. In Deuteronomy 1, 26, I'm going to read from this translation. It says, But you did not wish to ascend, and you rebelled against the word of, of the Lord your God. You slandered in your tents and said, Because of the Lord's hatred For us did he take us out of the land of Egypt. Right. And in this case, again, I mentioned it earlier, this is an element of baseless hatred. It was not that they were hating God, but they had taken evidence that they were seeing and said, oh, well, this means that God hates us. Right? They viewed in a negative light as opposed to giving the benefit of the doubt and saying, based on what we've seen and what we've known, instead we're going to slander God by saying that this is evidence that He hates us, which is totally contrary to His nature, totally contrary to His deeds, to what He had done with them. So they were slandering in their tents. And again, that then sowed the seeds for that which would be the destruction of the second temple and the exile that we currently have today waiting for Yeshua's return, right? So now... Within this, another thing that was was coming into my mind was what in Second Timothy. In verse uh, Second Timothy chapter two verses twelve to thirteen. Paul says, "If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself." You know, it's interesting. You know. When we are faithless, he remains faithful because that's his very nature, right? It's our side where our imuna can fail. But our, the failure within our own faithfulness in our walk has nothing to do with his side of the deal of faithfulness. He is always faithful, never fails, always fulfills his words always fulfills his promises and, and within that you know we just have uh, well, we have the perfect example of what faith and love is and that's you know the scripture says that Yeshua is the author and the perfecter of our faith right he gave us the example of what a perfect faith looks like such that when we look to say how should we walk faithfully his example his demonstration him being known by his deeds becomes that which we pursue that which we say okay that is how we're to walk out what faith really looks like and we have to we have to walk trusting him as the faithful one and in, 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 in all of this, as we try to walk out in faith, as we try to live unto God, it's important that we learn to operate in the opposite of baseless hatred, right? In the, in the aspect of giving the benefit of the doubt, of taking a look at the whole picture, not denying that there are, say, shortcomings in, in a person or in a situation or a circumstance, but to also recognize the good as well. And to say, okay, I want the whole picture. And then I want to see it as God sees it. Because if I can do that, if I can line all these things up, my head, my stomach, and work from the place of the heart, then I can actually really yeah, walk faithfully. I can walk faithfully with the Lord in wholeness myself. right? Because when we pick apart, when we tear down, we actually bring destruction in our own self, in our own beings, and limit where God can take us. So we, so we, uh, we walk by faith, and in our fast that we're going through tomorrow, it's a time of self-reflection to say, "Okay, Lord, what part am I playing in the redemption? What part am I playing in the exile that I might repent of? Repent of that." And rightly align myself and my life and my walk with you. Such that I don't just believe in you. That I believe you. That I trust and that I go where you've called. Okay. Alright, let's 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 pray and then we'll have some announcements. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you that you are steadfast. That you are unchanging. Thank you, Lord, for the gift that we have in Yeshua, the grace that we receive through him. Lord, thank you that we are saved by that grace through faith and faithfulness, through Yeshua's faithfulness. Lord, we ask that you would renew our hearts, that you would strengthen us. Lord, that you would uh, make us instruments of reconciliation and restoration. That your word may be manifest in us. Lord, we bless you and thank you in the name of Yeshua. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.